but what? Like, what are they? Yeah, what are they? <laughs> <laughs> we all are just kind of the guidelines. Well, yeah. kind of one easy thing, isn't there like a no-no list? Uh, yeah. <laughs> there was one. Ah, okay, yeah, so there, the there was one. There, okay, so there, there was one from the previous DG boss. Yes, the coffin was that on it? Because it was it's always. It's just because. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, that's yeah, yeah. Right. because it's a bad. Yeah. No. On the contrary, it's a great song. Yeah. It is but part. Yeah. Overplay. Okay, so yeah, yeah. People so here at home and then they come here. Why do they come here? It's the same yeah. stuff. That if you're working near the beginners' tent, you hear uh, the yeah. same ten songs yes. hundred times a day. Yep. You don't want to yep. hear it here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so about the guidelines, uh, like I'm just gonna rephrase it. 80, 90 percent of the music that is played on ballroom and dance barna has to be. Uh, a, a swing like classical swing music the big bands the people who played in the big bands you can go to the sides here and there a little bit but it should swing and we like I, I try to hire DJs who understand where they can go to the sides staying safe in the cultural environment of swing music so for me that means that you have the freedom of DJing but I need I require a knowledge from the DJs so that's that's the guidelines if you want to play something that goes too far it's not that I like or or the or Hirang will fire you or you'll be on a no-no list but we, we can discuss it like will we talk and then you, you know it's not that these guidelines are just some kind of a crazy no it's not like that uh, but we need to remember that we are here for the swing music. We are here to dance Lindeop. And Lindeop, as Norma said, is dance to big band swing music. And we need to remember this. That's all. Like, and then the library leaves its own separate life. It's <laughs> <So laughs> a terrific privilege to be able to introduce the next man and the next band that are arriving. Because I think perhaps all the history of jazz, there's never been, been anyone who has brought such excitement to music, such complete free-willing improvisation. Hey Jazz Babies, we've got a special episode for you today. Last summer I spent three weeks at Harang, for those of you who don't know. Harang is the largest annual dance camp focusing on Lindy Hop, Balboa, Tap, jazz music, other jazz forms. Um, and it's located about two hours outside of Stockholm in the small fishing village of Harang, where dancers come to dance and learn and create. And it's very much like summer camp, but for Lindy Hoppers. So what you'll be hearing are excerpts from educational talks held by the following. Uh, first, we got Maka, who talked about the difference between um, swing rhythm and more of a shuffle rhythm. Then we've got Bobby White presenting his talk on the Harvest Moon Ball. Then we have Marie and Daye talking about collective voices for change and the definition of community. Brie Michelle presenting a talk titled Justice or Just Steps, Encountering Jim Crow in Lindy Hop. And then a Q&A with Denise Harris-Mins, the daughter of Al Mins. I hope y'all enjoy the show.
his version, except for the motorcycle part. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the cool things about rhythm and blues is that uh, rhythm shuffle. Is it clear for uh, anyone? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> French. <laughs> so there is this difference, like in the swing, or like this is one of the basic uh, swing rhythm. But in the in the rhythm and blues, it's more like. Which like drives a lot, so this is cool. this is one of the cool version of that. And also I've got, I've got a last one, uh, more based about singing, uh, more modern, but which is cool also. I hope it's like. Until it kind of 
takes a few years and then it gets in the public domain. It's not always the case, but it is a pretty it is pretty consistent that we notice that only one couple does a trick step the first few years in the Harvest Moon Ball before yet other people do it. And from what we know, a lot of times those trick steps aren't invented by the dancers. So for instance, George Greenwich here, Frankie Manning always called George Greenwich uh, one of the great creators of Charleston Steps and Air Steps. And so um, this just so happens to be the first time that we see the... Make sure I get it right. So right up, up there on the left, top left, whoop. That up there in the top left is the first time we see around the back in the Harvest Moon Ball footage. And so it's, there's a possibility slash good chance that George Greenwich and or Norman Miller uh, played a large role in that team. One of the cool things that's happening here in fashion is that, I don't know if you remember the 1935 footage, here the skirts are shorter. In 35, the skirts were below the knees, now they're above the knees. And in 35, all the shoes were obviously leather-soled shoes, or like nice leather, nice fancy nice shoes. Here you're starting to see sneakers and nubucks, which have like a kind of a thick rubber sole. And so this is the first time you're seeing either the fashion shape the dancing or the dancing shape the fashion, because the air steps and the faster dancing is great for shorter skirts and for sneakers and rubber-soled shoes. This here is May Miller and Walter Johnson. You're gonna see them a lot in the Harvest Moon Ball footage. They're like really great dancers who never got to be in like the Whitey's Lindy Hop film. I'll do that one more time for them. In his book, Frankie Manning tells the story of how they took the top three place men's Frankie Manning, Norma Miller and Billy Ricker, and uh, Thomas Thompson Lee and Wilda Crawford. They took the top three placements, Thompson, Wilda won, uh, and they said they took the top three placements. After the Harvest Moon Ball, they all, got, they all signed a theater deal and they all went to perform on stage for a week, you know, so people could come see the Harvest Moon Ball winners. And the Lindy Hop was the star of the show. By this time, the Lindy Hop was the star. People love, love, love the Lindy Hop. It was the last thing on the list. That was the reason why they went. That's the Lindy Hop was the thing. And so uh, Ed, Ed Sullivan, who at this time was a Broadway writer, he was writing stories about Broadway columns and entertainment stuff. He would host the Harvest Moon Ball dancers on stage on a show after the, after the, after the Harvest Moon Ball every year. So he, would, he started realizing that the, the Lindy Hoppers, especially if they were whiteys, they were doing their routines on stage. And so they were really, really like, you know, oh, you got to have three couples who were amazing. And so he would invite three couples to come, right? So uh, Frankie actually remembered that slightly wrong because uh, it wasn't, uh, Norman Miller wasn't dancing with Billy Ricker, Esther Washington was dancing with Billy Ricker. Uh, and, and Frankie, uh, uh, and they, they did not, uh, Billy Ricker, I think, got second place or whatever. Anyway, but basically, the story was a little off, but it was still pretty much true that those three couples, Frankie Manning and Ann Johnson, and Norman Miller and Billy Ricker and Thompson Wilda, they did go and perform the show. Um, it was just more likely that Whitey told Ed Sullivan, no, here's the three couples that you want to have. Don't worry about like the placements. Like Here's the three couples that you want to have. So that was probably what happened, I imagine. And those three couples would become the teams that Frankie Manning would use for Hell's a Poppin'. 
Now, uh, some stuff went down between Tops and Frankie, and uh, we only get Frankie's story in the history of thing, which is, you know, that's, that's the only story that was, that was the only person who was around left to tell it. Well, Topps' daughter, Crystal Johnson, is still alive, and Crystal Johnson was a Mamalu Parks dancer and a Harvest Moon Ball champion in 1972. And what Crystal knows is that she loved her dad, and her dad was a great guy. And so, you know, we had, it's important to know these stories. It's important to know that when, when we hear only one side of a story in this history, that there's other sides as well, right? And so I just wanted to take a moment to say that Topps at this time was like a 20-year-old person who had just won the Harvest Moon Ball. So he was like a young kid who was probably dealing with this high level of unexpected success. Frankie Manning was a veteran 27-year-old who managed all the teams. And so if there was friction between them, it was probably totally understandable by our, you know, when you look at all, when you look at all the facts, you can probably see, oh yeah, yeah, that's probably why it happened. So we just want to make sure Tops and Wilda are amazing dancers. You can see them dance in clips on, on YouTube. So you can say Tops, Wilda, Lindy Hop, they're incredible whites on the operas who totally deserve to be remembered in history. Uh, all right. So let's move on to some later stuff. So the Harvest Moon Ball, this is 1935, this is 1940, so it's only been five years of the Harvest Moon Ball. The Harvest Moon Ball will go until 1974. It will go 35 more years of black American Lindy Hoppers dominating this contest. And then after that, it will go on to exist when Mama Lou Parks keeps the contest rolling until 1990. So there are at least five decades of the Harvest Moon Ball, um, showing the generations of how Black American Lindy Hoppers continue to do Lindy Hop throughout that entire time. So let's go to 1948. Let's go to 1948. 1958, the Savoy Ballroom closes, and a woman named Mama Lou Parks decides to take over the Lindy Hop training for the Harvest Moon Ball. Mamalu Parks also happens to be a teacher who teaches young kids how to dance at school programs in Harlem. She was originally supposed to teach square dancing, but then when she saw a gymnasium full of, of fresh-faced black kids, she was like, no, they're learning Lindy Hop. So she started teaching them Lindy Hop, and she started training them from an early age to go to the Harvest Moon Ball. And then she would also take a lot of them into a performance group, the, uh, the Mamalu Parks dancers, which I wish we could show you even more videos of them, but we can't, because we don't have time. But, we saw one the other night, it was pretty amazing. There'll be more out coming. Uh, and there is a narrative that says that Lindy Hop existed from the late 1920s until the late 1950s and disappeared with the closure of the Savo Ballroom until the revival of the dance in the 80s, thanks to Europeans and Euro-American dancers. That narrative is just simply false or incomplete. There was a return of interest by the world in this dance in the 80s, but that doesn't mean that the tradition was not continuing to exist until this day. And it's easy to understand that it's not true because people are like, yeah, we found these dancers dancing and then we brought them to Sweden. Where did you find them? <laughs> Where were they dancing? In their communities. Mm -hmm. So if they were dancing in their communities, I mean the dance was still around. Who was dancing? Yes? Mm. So often we, we take one idea of the narrative, but we don't really see the holes in the stories. You can't find Frankie. Frankie is not dancing somewhere. You saw him at Mama Lou Park's event. 
who was Mama Lupax? Mama Lupax was one of the pioneers who kept the dance alive and kept educating the youth, training them for the Harvest Moon Bowl from the closure of the Salvador Ballroom until her death in the 1990s. 90s. Mm. Not 80s, not 70s, not 60s, 90s. And you have people today who work with Mama the Parks who are teaching today. And they are teaching the next generation. And they are going to take that forward. And so I think we need to like open our mind a little bit about that story of the Lindy Hop and try to think that this idea of revival is true for some point of view. If you were here in Europe, yes, it goes from no dancing to some dancing, then to a lot of dancing. But if you're in the community that created this dance, it never stopped. And then it just, it was some dancing, and then still dancing, and then still dancing, and then suddenly the whole world is suddenly reinterested in the dance. And some people even go as far as claiming it as theirs when it is a cultural tradition that was created for people by people to represent these people. There are different types of communities. And often when we say community, it's very vague what we mean by the community. We say the Lindy Hop community, the jazz dance community, what do we mean? Um, and I want to talk to you about two different types of community one is called the beloved community, which was the idea uh, introduced by uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And the other is the idea of the community of practice. The reason why these two communities, often we want to think as jazz dancers that we have a beloved community. And a beloved community is a community in which everyone is cared for, and that community is founded on friendship, goodwill, and deep human connections. And I do think this is the kind of community that we want to create, and in some places we manage to create. But on the global scale, I think we are closer to what we call a community of practice. And a community of practice is a group of people who share a concern or a passion for something they do and learn how to do it better as they interact regularly. Mm. Yeah? And I do believe, and we do believe, we really would like to be a beloved community. We would like to be a community where the focus is not the thing that we do, but the connection that we create by doing the thing. We are not there yet. Why couldn't he just end up like a member of the village? Like you have to end up the king of the avatars? Like what is this about? What is this about? What is it about encountering whiteness, meaning that you want to learn the culture and now you must be in charge of it? Next slide. So if this were imaginary, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. This isn't about TV. This is what it has been to encounter whiteness. When we share our culture with you, you take over. Let's all sit with that for a minute. Be mad, be defensive, let it in. Whatever you decide to do in this moment. You know, I, I just finished reading this Viola Davis memoir of, called Finding Me, and I'm gonna try to paraphrase it. She says something like, you can either, whatever, 
whatever you're facing, you can either consume or it will consume you. So when I thought about it, uh, like I can eat it, like you can swallow what I just said and then we can all shit it out together and move on or it will consume us. This will be the, the issue that Jim Crow will continue and we won't get over it and it will just get badder, bigger and better and worse. So, I mean, even his picture's bigger. <laughs> I mean, just like, just the tiny shade, that's just small shade, but it's like, we cannot have a fair fight with you because for whatever reason, things are set up so that you cannot lose. So we know the story of this, like, you know, battle of the bands and who swings the hardest. And we heard the video where both Norma and Frankie were like, well, I was there. And I'm telling you now that Chick Webb, who's from Baltimore, outswung Benny Goodman. But if you Google it right now, King of Swing, you know what Google will tell you? Benny Goodman, King of Swing. That will be the same thing for Elvis Presley, King of Rock and Roll. Hello, Chuck Berry, who maybe, whose name you may not even know, or Sister Rosetta Tharp, whose face is right there, right there on the wall with the guitar. That's her, Sister Rosetta Tharp. If that's a name you don't know, but you do know Elvis, that is Avatar. That is Karate Kid. That is The Last Samurai. That is what happens in Jim Crow. That blackness is there to take the resource, but then whiteness gets to take the credit. Um, so I, this, this narrative, this romantic narrative of, of kind of white dominance uh, is, is a thing that we're here to tackle, which is like justice or just steps. Because I think some part of what we're doing is say, well, they're just steps, this is just technique, I've studied this, I'm excellent at it, I'm really good, look how fast I can dance. Look at all my air steps, look how hard I swing, you know, look how, you know, swivelly my swivels are or whatever. Like like is a meritocracy. Like I am doing well, I'm traveling internationally and teaching, or I'm winning all these awards, or I'm I'm hitting the jam circle and killing it because I'm good and I work hard. Okay, well let's let's take us let's for a minute put that presumption down that everything is going well for you because you're working hard and consider the way that Jim Crow plays a role in how things pan out for everybody. We're Jenna Lagong and we need to see her dance and it's hard to find anything with her dancing that doesn't also import that that time. We do need to see that. We need to see that there's blackface minstrels and know what that is and know it's a problem and we need to see that um, people are kind of dressed up in a, a mocking way about Africa and see that. Now that doesn't mean that I'm not gonna watch Jenny Lagong dance. For me, as somebody who's like a scholar and who gets this, I can watch it and shake my head at that mess and watch Jenny get down. When that kind of thing is shown to like a broad, it's like, you know, when something's PG-13, there's gonna be a kiss or there's gonna be the F word. Now like, I, my kid can watch this PG-13 movie except for this scene, you know what I mean? It's like. How do we navigate this thing that we want to watch because it's important, but you know that there's some part of this we shouldn't even support? Like, I'm not even going to watch it if it's got blackface because I'm not supporting it. I just, I want to say that when we go to try to celebrate these artists, um, it, is, it is nearly impossible to find places where they're represented where those tropes are not also present, so they come up. I. I want to work against having it be normal, though. 
I don't need us all to be somber and like to say a prayer when it comes on or whatever. And But we do need to, I don't know, we need to get it. We need to get what we're looking at. So I just want to kind of name what we're looking at and um, think about how do we uh, responsibly share that in public. Like that was like an F-bomb for me with my two-year-old around. And I'm just like, no, like we're not doing that. Like that's too, that's too far. Um, so I just, um, I don't know. I think we're at mine to do, I might say, hey, we're about to watch this video. We want you to know that there's blackface um, minstrelsy and which we do not support. It's trifling and terrible. And Jenny Lagong is in this piece and we will not see her dance if we don't watch this or we're gonna only watch this part of the video because there's blackface before and after. Um, so, I mean, there's a couple ways to navigate it or we're gonna pick a different piece. But then never to never see that piece feels hard, but it's difficult. And I'm not saying this is the right answer, do it like this all the time because I said what I said and I'm in charge. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we need to grapple with this because we're going to keep, I mean, I can think of any of these artists. It's very difficult. Like hell's a pop and they're all dressed up like servants, right? But we watch that, but like you can only, they're not even in the movie, this movie isn't about them. They only show up because they're dressed like servants because that would be the context that they could even be there. But it's like the celebrated scene. We just, I'm not saying that we shouldn't watch it. I'm just saying, are you watching it? Did you see it? Like, did you see and understand that? And does it affect the way that you live and dance? Because if it doesn't, we can get all woke and use all these words and cancel people and cancel videos. But if we're not, knowing where the black neighborhood is in our country, like I'm not impressed. Like I'm not impressed by the videos you don't show if you're not really living out a fuller life that involves um, the people for, for whose culture you're mining for your own kind of building your identity around. Like um, if your, your joys and hopes are coming out of jazz, you must put it back into the cycle. It is a circle of life. If you are taking joy and hope from jazz, you have to put it back into the community that it comes from, or else you're only taking and not giving. Like you can't just take out of the earth and not put back. You know, when you make a carbon footprint, you gotta plant a tree, right? If you're taking out of this community, you have to put back into the community. And the community that this comes from is the African-American community. If you're taking, it might feel like you're over here and it doesn't affect it, but it does. It's something deeply spiritual. Uh, it's just it's just how it happens. Like this would be a place where we could find our identity and our joy and our hope and that 4,000 people, 4,000 queens or 2,000 queens on Saturday night, but they're not there because of the way Jim Crow works. So we have to not be a part of that. We need to feed back into the community. Find a way to plant a tree in the black community. Plant a tree, please. Yeah. I thought my last question would be this. <laughs> Given the connection to everything you just talked about, but also in this with this dance, the culture and the art form, uh, I would like to hear from you. Uh, what are your thoughts on how to respect and push forward the legacy of this dance? And do you feel that there are specific ways you would like to see this dance performed, embodied, or places where this dance should take place? 
will continue to take place. Okay. <laughs> How many minutes do I have? Yeah, five, but we can. Okay, we can, five minutes. We can, we can, you know, we can move it. Well, this is Keep what trying. I want to say, and I don't, I don't know if it answers it. Uh, but I will say this, because I feel uh, compelled to say this. There is a lot of dialogue about um, cultural appropriation and that this is a black art form and uh, concerns. And my concern is that as these much needed conversations are going on, that people don't begin to feel like they don't have a right to celebrate this art form. You most certainly do, every one of you. Now, what I do want to say, though, is that it has been very much taken out of, I once said to Norma, Norma, there's all this talk going on about, you know, black people and Lindy Hop and stealing and blah, blah, blah. What do you think? I was at her, uh, Debbie was having a small birthday party for her in Los Angeles and I was there and I, and I asked her, I said, what do you think? And she looked at me and she said, um, racism created the Lindy Hop. And then, as I'm going to follow up that comment, Mauricio from Italy says, are you Alman's daughter? And he was there with his whole orchestra and the next hour and a half is me taking pictures with everybody in the middle. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, it's okay, I'm gonna see her at a tribute in New York in a couple of months, I'll just follow up then. But she died and I didn't get to follow up. So I had to give it a lot of thought, like what did that mean? And I'll be honest, thought and prayer, like I need to understand this. And, and then I, what is my understanding? of what that means, is Hell's Apartment, if you, I'm sure you've all noticed, every dancer is in some manual or menial labor costume. Nobody's there with a stethoscope around their neck. And that's, that dance, and Whitey's Lindy Hoppers and all those folks from that time, this, this was the one place during the most oppressive, evil times in American history where they could go and release and be. And I get it, because I remember how I danced when I was fighting in the Black Panther Party. And I danced on a different level than when I wasn't feeling the stress of day-to-day -day living as a black person in America. And I believe that Arthur Murray and other ballroom people, as integration happened and young white folks began to hear this music and see this dance and want to adopt it as an art form into their lives, Arthur Murray took it and other ballroom chains and stuck it in bleach, gave it a count. You want to piss off one of the old people? Let them catch you counting. <laughs> I never counted. I don't even know. With my dad, he would go gun 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 gun. He made noise, but it was the sound of the music he was imitating. So the passion for this art form has 
been bleached out. This is my opinion. And in the effort to codify it, like a young dancer gets in five months, wants to get into a debate with me about how come her teacher out here didn't insist that she bend her back and bend her knees. I'm like, what? Who gives a shit? <laughs> if you're dancing for a while, like who's got time? You're moving. If you if you're moving like hell's a popping, you ain't got time for that. You moving. Yeah. So I said this this week. It's the first time I ever said it. I've done these, been doing these talks since a lot of years. But I said back when I was dancing and you had a great night, we'd be in the dressing room and we'd say, "Girl, you peed on the floor tonight." Yeah. I want to see some peeing on the floor. I don't know, because the little girl says to me, well, but my teacher, where she comes from, my teacher insists, I said, tell your teacher, Alman's daughter said, cut it out. <laughs> cut it out. Find, find yourself. Good, good, you're doing great imitation of YouTube. Stop. <laughs> where are you in this dance? I imagine my dad, and Frankie and Norma at the beginning, at the creation of this art form where there were no rules and how exciting that must have been. I want you to be that damn excited. I had a dancer say, yeah, we went to class and you know they gave us this combination. I'm gonna cut it out real quick. And they gave us this combination and then the guy asked me to dance at the social and I did what you tried to do and he got mad at me. I did what you told me to do, I did something different. And he got mad at me and said, that's not what we learned. <laughs> and I, I said, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't care. You, you should have told him, go hoop yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, find, my challenge to you is find your voice. Don't be a good YouTube artist. You know, that's been done. That's been done, and, and who, who, who really wants to be a good imitator? Unless you're a ventriloquist or something weird. You know, ventriloquists are very weird, you know anything? <laughs> they got some different No judgment. They got some different shit going on. <laughs> but anyway, um, and, and I just want to say this. It was very controversial, because I didn't want to be up here. I wanted to be down there, and I was trying to be down there, because so, so thank you, the lights work. I, I feel like we've been intimate and not me up here on stage. So thank you, it worked out, guys. Uh, but I wanted to be there with you, but I'm here. But it's okay, it's okay. It's okay. All right, thank you, everybody. Can we get some more here? On a coconut island, I'd like to be a castaway with you. That's it. That's the episode today. I hope you all learned something. I know that I did. Every day, every day.
Yeah.